Therapy Chat Podcast, episode 179. This is the Therapy Chat Podcast with Laura Reagan, LCSWC. The information shared in this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health professional. And now, here's your host, Laura Reagan, LCSWC. Try Therapy Notes, the number one rated electronic health record system available today. With live telephone support seven days a week, it's clear why Therapy Notes is rated 4.9 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot and has a 5-star rating on Google. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note-taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. And now for all you prescribers out there, Therapy Notes is proudly introducing ePrescribe. Try it today with no strings attached and see why everyone is switching to Therapy Notes, now featuring ePrescribe. You can get two months free by using promo code CHAT at therapynotes.com. Trauma Therapist Network is a website to learn about trauma and how it shows up in our lives and to find a trauma therapist. Go to traumatherapistnetwork.com to find a trauma therapist near you today. Hi, welcome back to Therapy Chat. Today, I'm bringing you a conversation with a very interesting person who is talking about a subject that I didn't know much about until after I spoke with her. And the subject is pans, pandas, and Lyme-related diseases and how they impact mental health. My guest today is Dr. Roseanne Kapana-Hodge. Roseanne is the founder and director of Dr. Roseanne & Associates, and the author of the book Brain Under Attack, which is a resource guide about PANS Pandas. She is a Connecticut certified school psychologist, a licensed professional counselor, certified integrative medicine mental health provider, and a board certified neurofeedback provider. She's on the boards of the Northeast Regional Biofeedback Society and Epidemic Answers, and is a Lyme Connection Task Force professional advisor. She's very knowledgeable on these subjects. And what happened was we had a conversation that was so rich, there wasn't enough time to really get in depth as I was hoping. So in our first conversation, she gives a an overview and speaks very knowledgeably. And then in part two, which will be next week, we get more in depth. So here is part one of my conversation with Dr. Roseanne Kapana-Hodge. Therapy Chat Podcast wouldn't exist without the support of its listeners. If you'd like to become a member, please go to patreon.com slash therapy chat. By making a $1 per month donation, you can help Therapy Chat keep going over the long haul. Thank you for your support. Hi, welcome back to Therapy Chat. Today, I am really happy to be bringing you what I know is going to be a fascinating conversation. My guest today is Dr. Roseanne Kapana-Hodge. Roseanne, thank you so much for being my guest on Therapy Chat today. 
Thank you so much, Laura, for having me. I'm really excited to talk with you. Yeah, I'm so happy and excited because just when we were talking before we started recording, there's so much to talk about on this subject. But before we even let our listeners know what we're really going to be talking about, let's just start off with you introducing yourself and telling our audience a little bit about you and your work. Sure. So I am a psychologist and a therapist in Connecticut, and I do work with people all over the United States and actually outside the United States in my clinic in Ridgefield and Newtown, Connecticut. I have two. And I am somebody who is uses integrative holistic therapies, and we only focus on therapies that are research-based. And I believe wholeheartedly after spending many years, I've been in mental health for almost 28 years now. 28? Almost 28, girlfriend. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And different capacities. I've worked in psychiatric hospitals. I've worked with addicts. I've worked in schools as a school psychologist. But now I have a large center and we have a team of therapists and we use brain-based therapies like neuro and biofeedback. And we do psychotherapy, but the emphasis of our psychotherapy is really to utilize therapies that calm the central nervous system Mm -hmm. so that people can, it can prime the system to do the cognitive work. Because what happens in, you know, anytime somebody's experiencing stress, trauma, depression, that nervous system doesn't work properly. And you can't, your subconscious is not going to let you, let you access that rational thought in the same way. So I'm a big believer in a lot of very well-researched therapies like neurofeedback, but also somatic experiencing, hypnosis, EFT tapping, EMDR. Um, and we use a variety of those techniques and everything is very bio-individual. I don't believe one is necessarily better than the other. It's what that person needs. Yeah. Yeah. And I love the somatic focus because I think that focusing only on cognitive work, it limits what you can do because if you're not accessing the body, you can't access both that ability to regulate one's nervous system and also, you know, deeper emotion. A hundred percent. And, you know, what what's happening is there's so many things, environmental, emotional, genetic what you're eating, and they're all impacting, you know, our sympathetic and sympathetic, parasympathetic nervous system alignment, and it's getting things out of whack. And when you, you focus on the somatic, you know, the body is where it's at. The body is what holds those stressors. And so by working through the body, we do it with very young children, mothers with babies, elderly, you're really able to get that nervous system regulated, calmed, and then do the thinking work, change your faulty thoughts, stop the worry cycle, whatever is going on. I, I always focus on those two because that's probably 90% of, you know, everybody of every age walking through our door. I'm sure you feel the same way, Laura. Mm-hmm. Those tend to be the barriers, the obstacles, the limiters, you know, for people that cause the, you know, continual distress. Yeah. Our beliefs about ourselves that develop in response to our experiences and all the other things that are happening, like you said, environmentally, our food. Yep. Our, you know, parenting patterns that are passed down to us. I mean, there's just so many things that are impacting us. Our clinic, while we see all ages, 
we really probably have a very heavy pediatric focus that mm. I consider sort of 20 and under pediatric. So, you know, young adult down, we're probably about 65% of our population. And, you know, there's a lot of changes. There's a lot more stressors on young people. There's very heavy emphasis on high achieving academics. Yes. Like a complete disregard for everything else. You know, I'll have kids having panic attacks, really extreme cases of anxiety for a long time before they seek treatment, a parent seeks treatment because they say, well, they're doing well in school and that's their gauge. Yeah. And I try to really emphasize, you know, if your core isn't right, nothing is right, you know, and really they're doing well in school in spite of how bad they feel. Yes. In spite. And eventually it can't sustain. Usually they crash and burn in college if they don't crash and burn before then, which is so terrible because they spent so much time you know, feeling sick, it becomes more of a habituation on its own, not just a physiological response. And there's so many wonderful, you know, whether you're doing play therapy or art therapy or talk therapy, there's a lot of therapies out there that you can do at a young age where kids can develop coping skills. And if the issue is more organic, at our our practice, we don't believe in psychiatric medication. We feel that probably about 98% of the time it's inappropriately prescribed. Mm. There's just so many healthy, effective alternatives, some of the things we mentioned, but also there are wonderful supplements out there. I have great, some great blogs on different supplements for ADD and anxiety and depression, just free information for people because people need to know. Mm -hmm. And there's well, and they try everything and they try all these medications for these ADD symptoms. And even though they're giving kids medication that they may feel conflicted about giving them, they still aren't even seeing the, the help that they're hoping to get from it. So I think that knowing that there are supplements and natural ways to address that can be a great, hopeful piece of information for parents. And that's such a great point because what happens, Laura, is, you know, where are people getting their information? So they'll talk to their pediatrician Mm -hmm. about their kid's attention problem, but it may not even be an attention problem. It may be an executive functioning attention, uh, anxiety problem. It may be OCD real commonly seen or some other concern, a learning disability, trauma, reading disability, trauma. Lots of kids have trauma. People think of trauma as an extreme, like your kid witnessed a murder. That is not what trauma has to be. It's not the only kind. You know, I've seen kids get traumatized by a single bullying incident, Mm -hmm. a medical experience, just having a parent who's depressed. Yes. Having a parent who's depressed. I mean, there's lots of research to show that particularly, I hate to, you know, pin it on moms, but there's lots of research to show that depressed mothers, Mm -hmm. you know, their facial expressions, their body and how they respond to kids is highly significant and how a child develops their own emotional response. Yeah, because most moms are the primary caregivers, not always. Exactly. Not always. Yeah, it's not picking on moms. It's just. No. It's just what it is. Yeah. And we all know as moms, when we have our stuff together, our kids are better off for it. It's just not as always simple as that, you know? Right. And and everybody in the world's got their stuff. It's what you do with it. That's right. We all got stuff. We all got stuff. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, one of the ways, so people come to me a lot of times and they're like, my kid's ADD. And I'm like, okay, let's talk about that, right? 
And, but I actually don't just talk about that. I use an amazing technology that's been around for over 30 years called a QEEG brain map. And it's a way to collect the electrical information at the surface of the brain. And you do that by putting on a cap and it measures that surface electrical activity. And we take that data and we put it in a comparative database. And when you do that, you can see the patterning of the brain waves. And the patterning of the brain waves give us information about the health of the brain, but also if there is an unhealthy pattern, what is it? Is it ADD? Is it anxiety? Is it depression? Are those patterns more consistent with bipolar or something called pans pandas or inflammation uh, related to Lyme disease? So it really gives us very clear information about brain functioning. And from there, uh, and I'm not the only person in the world who uses this. There are other providers throughout the entire world. You can get onto the bcia.org website to find a certified provider. Make it a note. Feedback. Yep, bcia.org. And, you know, you can use that information to really get clear diagnostic information, which when you have a clear diagnostic picture of what's happening in the brain, not just a diagnosis of ADHD, but that patterning and what it's doing from a neuropsychological perspective, you can better align the treatments. And okay, this person, you know, I had a situation, this is a great example. Somebody came to me last night, she had taken her daughter, who's a very successful student, you know, high honors, AP classes. And her mom was like, this kid is not connecting. And she had gone to therapy numerous times, really to no avail, you know. And when I did the brain map, what I saw was that region in the brain related to social perception. And this was not a kid on the autistic spectrum. Mm -hmm. That area was very immaturely developed. She was not, there was a lack of communication in that area. So what does that mean? When I, when I met, spoke to the mom, I said, does your daughter misperceive situations? She said, that is her problem. And I said, yes, because what her brain showed me was not only did she misperceive situations, but her limbic system was overactivated and she had poor impulse control. So what would happen is she would misperceive the situation, then be irritated by her mother who was like, well, you know, that wasn't really a nice thing to do, but but the girl just didn't see it. She just doesn't perceive it in the same way. And then she gets more likely to get anger, angered in general. And then on top of it, the, the breaks of her brain, the frontal lobes, should finally say, hey, calm down. <laughs> All those systems were not working properly. Mm-hmm. So she never responded to medication. Of course she didn't. Her main nexus is the misperception what is the treatment for that? The treatment for that is really good psychotherapy with a social skills emphasis. And that is not what was ever done. And on the surface, you know, it's not like she has a huge social skill problem. She's hanging with the highest level kids. She's able to kind of keep with the pack, but boy, is she irritated by people. She doesn't like most people because, again, they're misperception. So, you know, 
that coupled with some neurofeedback to calm the limbic system, but also to get those frontal lobes back in line is, is the treatment that I'm recommended. And, you know, I'm sure she'll do well, you know, and it's not an overnight process. She's got to do some deep work. So the QEEG gives you all that information. Mm -hmm. Wow. Now I'm definitely, um, not everybody has the skill set to interpret their own QEGs. Most people collect the data and it's sent to a company that interprets them, which is fine, is a good thing to do. I interpret my own cues. I just have a very, it's an intuitive process. Mm. And when you know, when as a therapist, when you understand what the regions of the brain do, you start to see your clients differently. So in this case, everybody kept focusing on what she wasn't doing, but nobody was understanding why. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. the why was she just doesn't get it. And so it's very common for me to get these kind of cases because people think, well, how could she not get it? She's an A++ student. Mm -hmm. Well, that's rote learning, right? She can, she can do well with boundaries, but you know, she just wasn't making those important connections, especially in the emotional realm. She really just didn't have that connectivity, even though her mother, very caring and very loving, and in the history really revealed itself that this has been, you know, the mom said this has been a concern since she was two years old. She, she saw these kind of behaviors, but again, was successful in the academic world. And now what's happening is she's always stressed out. She's extremely distressed all the time, you know, not sleeping. Now those symptoms are coming along with it. So, you know, I'm glad. Yeah. And the mom really values, you know, health, mental health. And so she's making this a priority, which kudos to her. Yeah. Because it's easy to just prioritize the academic performance and say, you know, or it's the other people, you know, Yes, absolutely. Well, that's a great point, Laura. Interesting. You got my mind working. Got you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, good, good. Yeah, I definitely take, I'm an out-of-the-box thinker. And, you know, I started always right from the get-go, had complex cases. And almost every case I ever had, they were medication treatment failures. So you really had to, as a clinician, as a diagnostician, I do, you know, psychoed neuropsych testing too. You really had to start going, wait a second, you know, what's going on here? Like, I know the brain, this, this, and this is when this area of their brain, and yet they keep giving everybody Ritalin and that part's working fine. (laughs) You know, let's back it up. Let's see what the skill is really missing and teach that skill and find a way knowing what their assets are, get it in there in a way that's going to stick. For some kids, they need it to come through body movement. For some kids, it's got to be, you know, full experiential, right? For other kids, it's an auditory process. But I think most kids, as we kind of talked about, they do really well with sensory motor and incorporating that in the learning process. I think that's always a great way for any age, particularly boys, learn through a lot of movement to help with the therapeutic component. Yeah. Therapist, we've all had that moment. You wake up in the middle of the night. Oh my gosh, did I do my notes? Well, you don't have to worry about that anymore when you use therapy notes. 
Therapy Notes makes it easy to write your notes, get them done quickly, but thoroughly. My group practice has used Therapy Notes for six years and everyone always finds it easy to use. But the best thing is if you do need help, you can call their customer service number and a person answers the phone. And anytime I've ever had to use it, which is maybe three times in the past six years, my issue has been resolved easily with a cheerful demeanor in 15 minutes or less. So I highly recommend Therapy Notes. And don't forget, go to therapynotes.com and use promo code chat to get two free months. So we were talking before about you were talking about somatic experiencing and I was saying I'm in training for sensory motor psychotherapy and that's what I use sensory motor in my work, but I haven't used it with kids and I'm not Mm -hmm. directly working with kids myself now, except for like older teens. Right. It makes sense, but I'm curious about how, you know, we would, and this is something I know that the Sensory Motor Psychotherapy Institute has begun to put into place, but how to use it with kids, because it's kind of sophisticated in terms of like what you're asking people to notice to notice. And it's the same. There's an overlap yeah. with sensory experiencing yeah. in that you're having to pay attention mm-hmm. to the movements, right? So and the body sensations, I think the that's body the one of the hard, harder or maybe for kids, it's easier. The kids, parts. the kids are open. Yeah. You know, what's different about kids, you know, I love, I love, I mean, I love anybody. I feel grateful for anybody that shows up on my door because I know they're supposed to be there. And, you know, the techniques I use are so ridiculously effective that there's virtually not a time that I can't help somebody because I have a huge bag of tricks Awesome. and awesome. And I really believe I do some level of training for myself every day. Mm. And I just think you have to do that, you know, and I'm very, very involved on the medical side of things. But kids, you know, they're just so open. They are learning all the time. So when they are in a new learning situation, they're like, oh, I'm just going to be learning something new. Where an mm-hmm. adult isn't the same way. True. They, their fears, their worries get in the way. And so what I love about sensory motor and sensory experiencing is it puts it back to the basics. And what are you feeling in your body? And what happens in a stress state, and you already know this, is you disconnect from that. Mm -hmm. And you want to get out of your body. And you, what these therapies do is put you in your body, right? So with kids, you know, you can be really purposeful and, you know, okay, so, you know, I'm just trying to think of, I had some extreme cases, so that's probably not a good example because it would be too easy to, but, you know, I had a kid who was, had pans, which is something we'll talk about. And he was having some panic attacks with some OCD. Okay. So there's a way to handle that. But part of that is also to let him understand the triggers, right? Mm -hmm. So before things get to a level 10, what is your body telling you? And that is a real concrete process of having to identify that. But in other extremes, so for example, we're working with um, some siblings that had experienced preverbal trauma and they're older teens at this point. And so 
one behaviors are different than the other. And, you know, I was mentoring one of, you know, giving supervision to one of our clinicians today. And I said, you know what you need to do? You need to go outside. And, you know, we have basketball hoops on the back of all of our doors. And I'm like, you need to start shooting the hoops because then what happens is the brain relaxes, the body relaxes, and they're more likely to come from the physical side with their words and not process them and think about them and, and in a way where it's, you know, much more organic. It's flowing from an intuitive way, not a created way. Not that they're lying, but when you incorporate physical movement in the therapeutic process for kids, just like art, you know, art therapy and play therapy, there, a relaxation of that nervous system happens and, and that subconscious is more likely to reveal itself in a more authentic way. So the kids are the easiest to work with in the whole world. They just, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you just got to really like kids or they'll eat you alive. Yeah. <laughs> no, I love working with kids and I love how, you know, they are so open to trying something that they might not understand, you know, and, mm-hmm. and there's, of course, the trust with the therapist that you're showing them something that's going to help them or teaching them how to do something for them. Sure. Yeah, I love that. But I do want to talk. I know we won't have enough time to go in depth with it now, but yeah, can you just talk a little bit about what PANS is and, and the associated syndromes and disorders that go along with that? Sure. So I co-wrote a book with um, my board members from a wonderful organization called Epidemic Answers. They have a wonderful website for any clinician who's just looking for resources about children's physical and mental health. Lots and lots of research. It's really a great website. Well, we co-wrote this book called Brain Under Attack, and it's a resource guide for parents. Um, It's a great book for for professionals as well about PANS and what PANS and PANDAS. So let me tell you what PANDAS is. I mean, PANS is PANS is an acronym for Pediatric Acute Onset Neuropsychiatric Syndrome. And PANS is the same except PANDAS, except it is related to strep. And in general, what is PANS and PANDAS? So it is the body has a misdirected immune response to some type of outside agent. It could be strep, bacteria, often Lyme disease. It could be the flu. It could be pneumonia bacteria. It could be mold. And the body, Hmm. it creates all this inflammation in the body. And that inflammation, you know, inflammation in the brain starts creating neuropsychiatric and neurocognitive symptoms. And it's becoming increasingly common. One out of 150 to 200 children in the U.S. have it. And, you know, while we used to think that every single case had this just sudden dramatic onset of things like OCD, rage, ADHD, memory problems, um, separation anxiety or loss of, of skills like writing in particular, or they start bedwetting. And there's a whole bunch of other symptoms, but this idea that it was this overnight, which for many kids, it still is 
And the most common ages are sort of between age and 13, but we're really, really expanding our notion. We're seeing this in adults. I think this will wind up having its name change because we do see this sudden onset due to a medical condition with adults as well. But often what happens is there's a waxing and waning of symptoms before. There's sort of like what we call neurological soft signs. There could be issues like constipation or very slow decline in sleep or on and off illnesses like, oh, they had pneumonia. Oh, they had the flu. Oh, they had that some gentle anxiety. Now, the other thing is people can have another pre-existing condition on top of this. So people get confused. So somebody could have a mild case of OCD and then there's a real dramatic exacerbation. A dramatic exacerbation of a psychiatric issue or a neurocognitive issue is not normal. And what I know as a clinician, because I do so many trainings for clinicians on this, is that we become the, we're right in the front lines because we're getting all of these kids because the medical community is not good at identifying them and they don't know what to do with a kid who, oh yeah, okay, they have some OCD, go see a psychologist or a therapist. And the therapist works with the kid and they're like, wow, this is like really high level. It happened overnight and they're not getting better. And I'm a good therapist, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, and, you know, it's okay to say you're a good therapist because hopefully you all feel like that because that means you're doing a good job and you're learning and you're really working it. But, you know, most people, when they get their, their niche, you know, you know, in a certain amount of sessions, if the parents following through the kids following through, you should see an improvement. I mean, really yeah. in psychotherapy in three months, you should have some good symptom reduction. I'm not saying it's perfect. That becomes the benchmark in our office. We certainly feel like it's a lot shorter than that because we we have all these brain-based tools, you know? Mm-hmm. So it accelerates the therapeutic process. But this, you know, as a therapist, they we need to look at the medical reasons why. And this these kids typically don't do well with psychiatric medications. They can they tend to worsen. Why? Because there's an infection driving this of mm. some kind. And so until you get to that root cause, which is another one of my platforms, a big, you know, person of identifying root causes, you know, these diseases start robbing nutrients in the body. So additional cognitive or neuropsychiatric issues start to happen. And it sort of becomes a house of cards and and everything just sort of, you know, or dominoes, boop, 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 and everything gets worse. It's typically not one infection. There tends to be multiple infections. Wow. Yes. So once one gets in there, like, you know, if anybody ever, you know, knows anybody with Lyme disease, you know, Lyme disease overlaps very strongly with this because there's so many people. The great news about pans and pandas is the parents of kids with pans and pandas are some of the most action oriented mamas in the world. (laughs) And they are getting some stuff done and they're pushing this to the forefront. Not that my Lyme folks are. But the line, you know, these are both groups of people that have been ostracized. Professionals have been ostracized, but we lack proper identification and treatment. Yeah. And what a clinician could do and should do is when they think, wow, this has really got some kind of medical component to it, they should send them to, uh, you know, if they think it's PANS, you know, get on to pandas.org and you can find a professional there, but find a professional who specializes in it. 
If it's you think it's Lyme disease, find a Lyme disease who specializes. A lot of naturopaths and functional medicine doctors do this kind of work. But again, there's got to be a specialty in it. For both Lyme disease and pans and pandas, there isn't a definitive test. There are tests that we use that are very good that can give some answers, but both are made through clinical diagnoses. And that's also a real big fallacy that you, particularly for Lyme disease, that you have to test positive, have to have a certain number of bands present. That's just not true. And, and that's important as a clinician to know that because you can advise your client to get medical care. Yeah. So this is definitely, I want to talk to you more about this. I mean, this is something that we need another hour to really cover and fully. And so I want to thank you for being my guest today, but we're not done. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks so much for listening to my interview with Dr. Roseanne. As you can hear, there's so much information in this topic that we just couldn't get it all into one episode. Of course, it's always hard to get really in depth in any 45 to one hour long, 45 minute long to one hour long podcast episode, but she was able to come back and talk with me again. So you'll hear part two next week. Until then, thanks so much for listening to Therapy Chat. I always appreciate you and I'm looking forward to bringing you more from Dr. Roseanne next week. Try Therapy Notes, the number one rated electronic health record system available today. With live telephone support seven days a week, it's clear why Therapy Notes is rated 4.9 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot and has a 5-star rating on Google. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note-taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. And now for all you prescribers out there, Therapy Notes is proudly introducing ePrescribe. Try it today with no strings attached and see why everyone is switching to Therapy Notes, now featuring ePrescribe. You can get two months free by using promo code CHAT at therapynotes.com. Trauma Therapist Network is a website to learn about trauma and how it shows up in our lives and to find a trauma therapist. Go to traumatherapistnetwork.com to find a trauma therapist near you today. Just another reminder that if you'd like to become a member of Therapy Chat, supporting the podcast while receiving fun member perks and being able to communicate with me one-on-one, go to patreon.com slash therapy chat. If every subscriber donated just $1 per month, Therapy Chat would be able to keep going strong indefinitely. Thanks so much for your support. Thank you for listening to Therapy Chat with your host, Laura Reagan, LCSWC. For more information, please visit therapychatpodcast.com.